0: On the Brink of Collapse. That's the stark portrayal of the state-of-the-arts media in a new report, New Mirrors, commissioned by Creative New Zealand. The author spoke to 52 artists, journalists, editors publicists and decision makers supported by a media advisory group earlier this year as part of the process. The picture painted is one of an under-resourced and undervalued valued industry with multiple compounding issues contributing to a deterioration of arts media, a breakdown of relationships between artists and journalists, and an erosion of trust. It identifies three key needs and two pathways forward to address the crisis. Earlier I spoke to the two authors of the report, writer, producer, former reviewer and founding editor of the Pantograph Punch, Rosabelle Tan, and theatre critic and theatre lecturer at the Victoria University of Wellington, James Wendley. Kia ora to you both. Um, let's start with the definition of art and culture in this report, because it's described as a broad and inclusive range of cultural and creative activities in Aotearoa. And more notably, the centre of this is Nato Māori, so through a te ao Māori lens, and that art and life are joined. It's intrinsic to life. You can't separate the two. So how did you land on this definition and why this approach?
1: It was a definition that we spent a lot of time working on with our advisory group and with other people who uh had a stake in, in finding the right definition um for us to use and it was it was something not only arts and culture but also what we meant when we said artists what we meant when we said media but for us i think it was really about grounding it in the many worldviews that make up aotearoa with nātoui Māori at the heart but also our different Pacific, Asian, African, Middle Eastern communities as well. And I guess uh, the definition was so important because within the media context, we often default to a Western definition of arts and culture, Mm. which traditionally is something that's seen as extra from everyday life. So like a leisure activity or a decorative element. And it's often, a definition that has increasingly become complicated through the lens of capitalism, um, particularly in terms of how we can commodify uh, and the, the work of artists. So I think for us, it was, how do we acknowledge the many alternative ways that people actually think about arts and culture and acknowledge all these other critical benefits that art has beyond just making money or looking pretty, which is around like, Health, well-being, social cohesion, civic participation, um, and just that idea that the art we make is a reflection of our culture and that's something that's really important in a country like Aotearoa as we continue to evolve.
0: Just to add to that in terms of the, the, that widening, that definition, in the Visibility Matters report, which was sort of the part one in some ways too, this report, it's one from early in the year, painted a picture of what the landscape is. 13.5% of media coverage is focused on arts and culture, but only 3.25% of that is anything outside of film, music and TV. And that's compared to 25% coverage of sport. Uh, And so the view of arts and culture is very much not an afterthought, but it's a nice to have, isn't it?
2: I think that's one of the biggest things that this report is challenging is that this idea that it is just a nice to have. And that's one of the symptoms, I think, of why we have seen a a downturn in um, arts and culture that we might kind of see in the media, because when things are tough, um, that if you view something as nice to have, then that's okay. We can sort of deprioritize that at this stage. But if you flip that and you really kind of take this inspiration that arts and culture is something that is essential um, to everyone's life is essential um, to cultures around the world. It's essential to how we sort of understand uh, and express um, big ideas and reflect uh, about things in our lives, in our country, um, that this is an argument to make this um, something that's far more prioritised, something that is it's not a nice to have, but it's uh, essential and make that the starting point. Hmm.
0: Rosabelle, you mentioned that the way we view arts and culture is actually quite a Western point of view. For this report, did, you, did the two of you look over to any international examples of where integrating that arts and culture into life and treating it as such in the media is successful and it works?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. We did look at what was happening internationally in terms of what other media organisations and I suppose arts advocacy organisations were doing um, Mm -hmm. in terms of strengthening media coverage. But I feel like from what we saw, there were similar issues everywhere.
2: I'd agree with that. We're looking at sort of the problems that are, that are, we've got here in New Zealand, uh, similar to what we're sort of seeing in, in other places, but really exacerbated by the scale mm. um, that we have, which makes it even more, some of the problems even more acute and visible.
1: What I would say as well, though, is that within Aotearoa, there are a lot of media organisations that are doing it already and doing it well, like Fakata a great example where that delineation doesn't exist within the organisation. Mm. Um, stuff stuff that like TVNZ might call an arts program was not mm. um, categorised in that way. So
0: yeah. Well, for this report, you spoke to you know fifty two artists, journalists, editors, publicists, decision makers, and and some of those from Fikata Māori said yes. When there is an art story, it's not an art story. It's just a story that happens to be about yeah. art, and it's not treated as a end-of-the-bulletin or end-of-the-programme kind of story. It's just within the mix. The last two decades in particular, there has been a deterioration of arts media. You know, it's under-resourced, under-strain. And while the internet has been this amazing development for for more people to have a platform for more people to have a voice especially those who wouldn't normally and it's also unlocked this sort of online publishing there's also the issue of a shortage of reporters and a declining interest in journalism as a whole isn't there
1: yeah <laughs> um yeah it was it was a very stark picture that that chapter painted and it was i think it will be no surprise to anyone who works within the media industry, but I do think it was very valuable to write that for an art sector audience, because I think that often artists and people who work within the cultural sector don't necessarily get an insight into how media are struggling, and they often give off the perception that actually media is doing quite well. (laughs) Um, This idea that, especially in this particular context, when we're talking about the cultural Sector and the media industry, they're two completely under resourced and stretched um, sectors who don't necessarily have the time to go and read a report about another sector that Mm. they're collaborating with or trying to work with. Um, So I think just being able to compile some of those stats was really valuable. Even like I work at the fringes of media and I some of those stats were still so alarming Mm. to see like um, the way the number of journalists working in Aotearoa halved, halved, more than halved, between 2006
0: and 2018. Yeah,
1: dropped by 52%. Yeah, it's drastic. Um, And I think the media is still trying to find a sustainable business model going forward. They still haven't really recovered from
0: that Web 2.0 boom. That 52% figure is up to 2018, so that's before COVID. And during COVID, we saw, you know, advertising money fell away, magazines were sold off, NZME had redundancies, Sky TV cut almost 200 jobs. Then we've had another three years where it's been another struggle. James, I want to talk about the, it's not just reporters and art reporting in the media, but also within the industry, the bridges between artists and journalists, that's also breaking down and falling away?
2: Well, I think because we have lost the, the, the really good structures in place where you get consistent, high-quality um, arts reporting across um, different media and lots of organisations that maybe would have um, their hat in the game. Um, once you start to erode that, um, that's, I think, in, in the the people, some of the people that we talked to, um, reflected that there has been a bit of a, a breakdown in trust um, between the arts community and media. Um, and I think that sort of goes back to, um, I guess sometimes coverage can be a bit shallow. It can just be, here's uh, the event that's going on. And so you don't have as much kind of space or time to kind of really dig into um, the more meaty or um, kind of important stories um, that could be told um, about arts and culture and, and what um, our creatives are doing. Um, and so I think that's that's an area that I think um, there's a lot of opportunity to um, rebuild that trust. Like one of the most significant things for us in just doing this research was that we had an amazing advisory panel um, featuring people across arts and media and the different crossovers. And just to be on the Zooms and to have that kind of cross sector conversation, we just kind of realized that this doesn't happen enough. Mm. And so there's just some basic things in terms of really kind of understanding, um, the different needs, um, that might be out there, um, that then gives us sort of a platform to, um, together, um, really kind of strengthen, um, this, this kind of, um, coverage and journalism.
0: Would it be fair to say that a lot of the groups within the industry work in silos? Oh, I mean, that's
2: definitely um, something I think like the arts community has, has really clicked onto over the past few years, and that there's a real sort of desire to be breaking down these silos. And so I think this is also um, another opportunity um, for that. And it makes complete sense when, you know, everyone is just, uh, including arts, including the media, is just so focused on trying to survive and get through, you know, crisis after crisis, um, that you do lose that opportunity to reach out beyond the silo. So I think there needs to be um, some specific structures in place to actually kind of help that along. And that's one of the things we address in the report.
0: One of the things that the report talks about lays out the function that arts, media and coverage serves for artists. And while I knew all these things and you know these things sort of theoretically, seeing them laid out was quite interesting. For example, you know, it helps artists build a career, reach people, reach new people. Um, It's a way to get funding. It's a way for venues to attract audiences. And in some ways, for a lot of art, for a lot of, say, shows, theatre pieces, without having media coverage, there's no actual record that your work existed. And one thing in particular was the decline in reviews, the decline in reviewers. Can you talk a bit about that, Rosabelle?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's such a huge one. And a review serves so many different functions which are so critical to the health of an arts sector, cultural sector. Um, James and I are both reviewers. I was about to say former reviewers, but you might not identify (laughs) as
2: that, (laughs) Um, A a, a recovering reviewer? I'm not
1: sure. (laughs) Um, But suffice to say, it's something that we both truly, deeply believe in, not only because it documents some... I mean, we both reviewed theatre, and so theatre reviews in particular are documenting something that otherwise becomes a ghost you have no actual memory of it there's not a piece of uh, like a tangible piece of art that remains for example so that documentation is actually in some ways the first draft of history Mm. as people like to say about journalism Um, Mm. it's also a way to talk more critically about the stuff that's happening around us Plays, the books, the exhibitions, the ideas that they're exploring, and it provides a space for us to grapple and disagree and explore those conversations in depth. And when those conversations don't have a platform or don't have space to take place, uh, it was really easy to, to diminish the power of art. We've got a bit of uh, listener
0: feedback here as well from one reviewer, Hamish, who says... I recently reviewed a book and was paid $250. I kept a running tally of my time to read and write and my hourly rate came in at $7.20. So it was a labour of love. And that's the other issue, isn't it, that it's often, at the end of it, feels like a hobby.
2: Yeah, so I, I think a lot of um, reviews that that are, are still being sort of written or made um, is is through voluntary labour or or near voluntary labour, um, like that sort of example um, suggests. Um, there was there was one three year period where I was um, a reviewer for Metro magazine, um, reviewing theatre, which was which was paid, um, and that was just like, wow, this is this is so cool. Like I feel I feel valued. I feel I feel energised and excited. Um, and, you know, that, that position then went away and, and hasn't returned. Mm. Um, and so you, you kind of see that story play out um, across the spectrum. Um, and you've got like great on, online platforms um, that, is, that are still doing it. Um, but because you don't have that kind of consistent uh, resourcing, um, people burn out, people drop out. And you don't then kind of get that um, continued kind of like record and discussion and Mm -hmm. growth um, that you might otherwise.
1: The low pay is such a massive issue because it privileges people who can afford to make reviewing a hobby of theirs, basically. Um, And it also means that when you're trying to create space for other voices to review things, it's a really hard ask. And often people feel like, it's not worth the tiny sum to potentially compromise relationships that they have within the sector. so that's a whole nother conversation
0: that that's exactly. that's the flow-on effect, isn't it? If you're only a one of a small pool of reviewers, you're going to feel pressure not to bag on something because the industry's so small, you'll probably see them the following week at something or you may need to collaborate with them further down the line. So there's a sort of pressure to do, only positive reviews isn't there
1: i think there's also often a misconception that a negative review is not a supportive review whereas i think if you're writing critically and not necessarily gushingly about a work you've taken way more time to actually grapple with what that artist was trying to do what they were trying to say and whether they've been able to do that
2: Hmm. it's also like a really great opportunity um to sort of re-energize um, criticism and, and and how we do reviews as well, and there's some like really great kind of thinking um, of of some of the creatives that we we spoke to about it doesn't have to always be the same way that we we do this. Um, looking looking for not reviewers but navigators, um, and so I think there's a real kind of I guess opportunity here not only to kind of rethink um, the way that this these are done, but the kind of like different types and platforms. Um, there's a lot, lot of kind of successful um, kind of food reviews that you might kind of see on Instagram. Um, are there other ways that that can sort of be applied to um, other kind of platforms and arts as well?
0: And what about the perceived inaccessibility? Because on one hand, there's a shortage of arts reporters, but at the same time, it can be quite scary having to write about arts and culture because it seems inaccessible. It feels like a specialist topic, so there's this veneer of elitism. What what about that, James?
2: Yes, well, I mean, there's the real skill um, that that journalists have in, in terms of like making things um, accessible, and I think that's that's kind of one of the great um, needs um, for for arts and culture to have have people that feel. Um, comfortable and able um, to, to be that kind of bridge or, or mediator. Um, because I think we are sort of still fighting that perception that that art is elite um, when actually art is for everybody. And I think that's sort of like one of the big picture um, sort of maybe movements that's that's happening in New Zealand, um, especially when we're sort of thinking about um, arts um and the contribution that it makes to our well-being, and um, the contribution that it makes to social cohesion and bringing us together. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need, we need people in the media um, that feel really able to kind of engage um, with that. And it takes, it takes specialists. It also takes like general media because this, the skills um, of a general journalist are also the skills um, that are needed to talk about um, arts and culture. I think it's just kind of feeling that, yeah, actually, this is this is something that could be within um, my remit and interest as well. Um, and there was there was some kind of um, there was an initiative that we saw in the United States that was um, kind of offering arts training to general journalists. So I think it's also getting um, training in place um, if if that's something that people that don't necessarily have a specialism. Um, want that there's actually places that you can go to be like okay I want to kind of understand this sector a little bit more.
1: Mm. Can I ask you a question Polina? Yeah. How have you found it because you're now in this role and you're getting pictures I'm sure from all sorts of um, different artists who you don't necessarily you know know their art from that well.
0: Absolutely and and I was when I was reading this report I sort of it felt like I was sort of reading about my job in some ways. It's amazing because I'm, I feel so sort of honoured to have this role because there are so few roles that it's a full-time role dedicated to arts and culture. At the moment I'm juggling about eight to ten stories and trying to make sure that I do give every story time and that I can do it justice and that I'm doing the research and making sure I'm not asking just really what seem like surface basic questions but we're also trying to make a real concerted effort to get out into the regions to talk to up-and-coming artists artists that aren't in the you know mainstream if you will Mm. and to give time to people who are newer in their career or wouldn't usually get sort of radio or tv time and the report talks about this that Often it's really hard to get attention if you don't have an existing profile. And we know all about that with, you know, digital and social media. You look at influences, people, companies want people who have reach naturally, that come with reach, come with influence. And that's really difficult if you're a new artist.
2: I just I just observe on that, like it is a lot to hold when you're one of the few people that has that specific arts beat Um and, you know, we've got, we've got major media organizations that don't have anybody that's kind mm. of empowered and dedicated in that role. So if we had more champions like you um, out there across different <laughs> media platforms, like that's, that's the kind of game changer um, that is needed. And that's the kind of thing that we'd love to be able to see because, yeah, it takes people in, in those specific roles. And that's what we're really kind of missing out on.
0: Let's talk about solutions. We've painted a pretty stark picture here. In the report, Rosabelle, uh, you've identified three key needs, which are tell stronger stories, have a media landscape that reflects Aotearoa, and thirdly, create opportunities for understanding between arts and media ecologies. Can you talk a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, those were the three really key themes that came out through our conversations with artists, publicists, um, journalists and editors. And I guess fundamentally it is about investing into our arts and cultural media ecology so that there are, we've just been talking about more journalists, um, more platforms, more editors who can support more in-depth, nuanced storytelling. And part of doing that, actually, and this is a much larger issue, which is not specific to arts and cultural media, but being able to have media organisations that reflect the diversity of experiences in Aotearoa, which is an ongoing conversation for media, I think. And it's, it's improving and then to other days, it feels like it's going backwards. So... As it's um, really clear in the report how um, much investment is needed into making that happen, but I think it's a really great opportunity really to in some ways shortcut some of the challenges that we've been talking about rather than expecting one person to hold knowledge about so many different mm. things. Um, and be able to navigate the sensitivities of different cultures or understand the nuances of different cultural contexts, art forms, et cetera. Mm. Uh, And then the last one is what we've kind of been talking about already in in terms of how do we bring together these two really under-resourced sectors who barely have time to talk within themselves Uh, together to really work together more collaboratively and to actually understand how each other work because at the moment there is a real gap in that understanding and that's also leading to a lot of the issues that we were seeing described.
0: Some of the issues were that journalists sometimes feel publicists don't know what they want and vice versa and so there is this sort of miscommunication or misunderstanding and not being on the same page, isn't there?
1: yeah exactly um and that's i mean we found it even in in our advisory meetings where you'd have a publicist a journalist and an artist all sort of discovering things about each other and these (laughs) are people who've worked in the sector for a really long time and it's just it's so rare that we're not in a transactional um interaction yeah
0: and James, two key pathways were identified in this report. The first is creating a dedicated fund for arts and culture media projects. And the second was create an arts media centre. Can you talk more about those?
2: Absolutely. So, I mean, funding is always going to be something that's that's sort of primary here. Um, there are existing ways that arts media can get public funding. Um, so there's arts coverage that gets funded through Creative New Zealand, there's the New Zealand on Air mechanisms um, as well, but we sort of found that those aren't working effectively, especially when you have um, media publishers or platforms that are competing in the same Creative New Zealand rounds as the artists that they're looking to cover. Um, So Creative New Zealand have just done a a big um, change in terms of some of their funds, but what we're sort of really looking for is actually a inter-agency fund platform. So you have co-investment. And I think if you can sort of pull some resources together and make this a strategic focus um, for some of our um, agencies like Creative New Zealand, New Zealand On Air, Te Mangaipaho, and um, the ministry itself kind of overseeing that, that that's going to then kind of create um, some new energy especially when we, you know, we acknowledge that we're in um, a a time where uh, we are sort of seeing a real kind of financial crunch again um, for the arts sector and for the media sector as well. So I think it's being able to better use existing resources and what we've been missing the whole time is actually just having this as a strategic focus. But I think if we're understanding that this is something that's strengthening arts and culture media is going to lead to a much healthier arts ecosystem overall and then the kind of benefits that that has on like a national um, level as well. So that's the first thing that we're we're sort of seeing the need for is this dedicated interagency fund.
0: The figure that the report had was about $5 million, is that correct? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, we thought that's, that's a realistic sort of ask and place to start, um, especially, especially when it's it's maybe pooling some existing resource mm. um, and then kind of seeing what what, it, what extra investment um, might be able to be achieved there.
0: And the second pathway is the Arts Media Centre, which is based on the Science Media Centre.
2: Yeah, so we we, we find uh, a lot of inspiration in what the Science Media Centre has sort of enabled for the the quality um, and expertise of science reporting in our media, and we, we saw sort of how important that was um, over over the pandemic, and that's that's a organisation. It's it's funded by um, MB, and uh, is. Sort of, I guess, has that mandate to really kind of support media and also scientists and bridges that gap. So we need to kind of take a version of that, uh, adapt it for arts and culture media sort of context, but have this as a place that can really be invested in bridging the gaps um, between media and arts, um, really kind of have uh, various training, advocacy, uh, a network, um, if a journalist is like, I would love to be able to cover this story, but I don't know who to talk to, mm. this can be sort of the first place that holds some of that knowledge. And it'd so be it's, having it's really kind of,
0: And it'd be having a list of, you know, the go-to spokespeople, it's who's an expert on this particular topic, which would, you know, take away some of the fear around the reporting.
2: Yeah, I think so. Like this is this is just very vital infrastructure. Um, that is sort of missing, missing from the picture right now. Mm. So if we could get this across the line, I think that would be a really kind of fantastic long-term investment to really kind of support this vital area.
0: That was Rosabelle Tan and James Wenley, the co-authors of the New Mirrors Report on the State of Arts Media in Aotearoa.